got saved this morning, you ought to get saved before it's too late. Amen? Turn, if you would, to the 14th chapter of the book of Mark. We've been in the book of Mark now. Uh, I don't know. I was going to look it up and see how long we have been here. It's been a year or so anyway, but we're winding down. We have this crazy idea that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for all things. So we just kind of go through it, and where it lands, it lands. Mother's Day, boy, I got two or three emails on Mother's Day. What a terrible sermon to preach on Mother's Day. And uh, probably going to get some today too. But anyway, I was reading about a, a pulpit committee. God love them. They're wonderful people. Uh, and they said, dear church family, your pulpit committee appreciates all the input and recommendations from our church family. We wish to make the following updates on our progress. We had to mark off Brother Noah. It's true, his carpenter skills would come in handy at Christmas and Easter and vacation Bible school. He did have 120 years of faithful preaching. But our church is an evangelistic church. And we could not tolerate to go 12 decades with nobody walking down the aisle. Plus, there are unconfirmed reports that he drinks. And then we marked off Brother Moses. He's got a speech impediment, and it would hinder his pulpit authority. And while we were visiting his church, the rumor in the foyer we heard was he had murdered somebody. We need a man who knows how to lay down the law. And then we had to mark off Brother Abraham. It's well known that he is into child sacrifices, the history of lying to cover his own hide, and the chances of romance at his age would be scandalous to our church. We're not sure who recommended Brother David, but really? An adulterer and a murderer? It's true he's a gifted songwriter and may have made a good minister of music, but for this moral failure. And then Brother Solomon, he was, had great wisdom. He made the top of our candidates, the wisest of all the candidates that we've interviewed, but he had a tendency to not practice what he preached. And his polygamy alone would keep him too busy to pastor this church. And his lifestyle would keep the widow's gossip line hot. And then there's Brother Elijah, certainly a great preacher, but he's known to fold under pressure, and he's given to bouts of depression. And then Isaiah, do we need to remind you of the prominence of our pulpit? If a minister with unclean lips as, clean, as, as he would have a verbal slip in our pulpit, do you know the slander that could happen from there? And then John the Baptist, we didn't go hear him, we did receive a CD, excellent message on repentance. So he quickly rose to the top of our list, so we went to hear him preach at a local church. We discovered that's the only message he knows. Now, I know the senior adult Sunday school class would be thrilled that the sermons would only last about four seconds. But really, a church of our stature needs more than a weekly dose of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Besides that, he eats weird stuff and dresses like a hippie. And then there's Simon Peter. We didn't even respond to his resume. He's on record for having a foul mouth and denying the very faith he claims to preach. How a man of his character could pastor a church is beyond us. Brother Paul's resume looked really great until we got to really looking at it, and he never stayed anywhere longer than one year or two years, and then he was gone. What we need is a man who knows how to fight a good fight, who finish the race, keep the faith. 
Besides, we hear that he's long-winded. Sometimes he even preaches to midnight. He's in trouble with the law and might as well spend time in prison. Then there's Brother Timothy. Know a lot of you people want a younger pastor, but he's too timid. He's known to slip himself a hot toddy under the guise of having an upset stomach. His alliance with Paul would probably mean that he would share Paul's view on the role of women in the church. And I'll tell you right now, we're confident Sister Juanita Jones would not take kindly to the idea that she could no longer preach on the first and third Sunday nights. And then there's Jesus. We can't believe someone turned his name in. Every crowd he went to, he divided. We're afraid one day the crowd would rise and kill him. We don't think our deacons would take kindly to being called a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombstones. After reviewing his sermons, he preaches about hell, judgment, and money more than anything else. We need an encourager. Our staff needs an encourager. Jesus has a bothersome history of thinking that his way is the only way. And we kind of feel like he's got a Messiah complex. After reviewing all these resumes, your pulpit committee has found a viable candidate for your pastor. He's a great leader. He's able to see both sides of the issues. He's able to work with all kinds of people. He's worked in full-time ministry three and a half years. He's able to handle money. He's worked at the treasure for a great nonprofit ministry. And after much prayer and deliberation, we unanimously moved to call Judas Iscariot to be your next pastor. Now, you know what? We all laugh at that. You know why? Because we're on this side of the cross. But I want to tell you, we're talking about a man this morning that was a perfect counterfeit. In fact, he had everybody fooled except one, and that's the one who counts. Mark chapter 14 Would you stand with me as we honor God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? Beginning in verse 10, Mark chapter 14. The Bible says, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad, promised to give him money. And uh, he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Then look down at verse 17. In the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? Another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto him, It's one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. Hmm. So the Son of Man indeed goeth, and as is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born Then look down at verse 41. The Bible says, He cometh the third time, saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest, it's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And immediately, while he yet spoke, cometh Judas, one of the twelve. With him a multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and said, Master, Master, a rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. 
Father, today we ask you to speak to our hearts in these next few moments. It's a difficult sermon, some tough topics, but I pray you'll, Lord, go deep within our hearts and we'd leave this place knowing for sure in our own hearts that we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We've been washed in the blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's a sad tale of a man here who is a counterfeit. And we would have immediately, if he'd have given his resume to us, we'd have been so impressed because every disciple would have said something. I think probably uh, Judas, I mean, uh, Simon Peter would have probably said, look, uh, to this committee, I, I, I'm going to be calling, going to the church at Jerusalem to pastor that church, but I'd highly recommend Judas to be your pastor. He's a great man of God. Simon Peter, uh, Matthew would say, hey, he's well qualified. Andrew would say, I've ministered side by side with Judas. He's a soul winner. He loves God. He's a tremendous man. Everybody thought he was good except Jesus. John 6 Jesus said Judas was of the devil. He's been filled with the devil. Satan has entered him. Everybody fooled. Mm. We encounter people like that every day. We just don't know who they are. Now let me give you three things here this morning. We're through. The description of Judas. Judas, first of all, he's got a good profession of faith. Uh, He could talk the talk. He just couldn't walk the walk. I I didn't say that loud enough for you to hear me. He could talk the talk. He just couldn't walk the walk. You know anybody like that? They're great to talk the talk. They just can't walk the walk. He's got a good name. Rendering his name Judah really uh, uh, renders Judah. And really the word Judah uh, means praise. If you would have asked him, Judas, are you saved? He would have given you a sound doctrinal story about how to be saved. You know, nobody names their kids Judas anymore. Nobody names their kids Jezebel anymore. I've seen a lot of Jezebels, met them, but it's not their name. It's their nature. It's not their name. Amen? Cattlemen would talk about Judas, the Judas cow, or shepherds would talk about the Judas goat or the Judas sheep. And literally it means someone who will lead someone to destruction. That's exactly what Judas means. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Now I want you to notice what they did not say. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, sitting around this table, those 12 disciples, not a one of them said, it was Judas. Told you all from the beginning he was a fake. I knew it. I knew he didn't have the stuff. I knew we couldn't count on him. Not a soul said that. They've known him three and a half years, and not a soul said that. They said, Lord, is it I? Could it be me, Lord? Is it I? In John 12, verse 6, the lady had come and poured the alabaster oil on Jesus, and Judas said, why why, why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Listen to what John 12, 6 says. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was a treasure. Now, you may hire somebody to be your treasure that steals from you, but you don't knowingly do that. You don't knowingly say, hey, this guy's a crook, 
I'm going to hire him to be the treasurer. He's one of the finest Christian men we know. He had a great name. He had great power. He was a miracle worker. Revelation, if you're, if you're worried about that, Revelation talks about the false prophet that'll come, that'll prop up the, the Antichrist there, and he'll be able to do signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are no big deal for anybody to be doing. In verse 7 of Mark 6, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. They all cast out demons. They all anointed people with oil. Judas is in that same group. He's touching folks, and they're being healed. He's casting out demons. Judas is in that same group, able to heal every disease. Man, if you'd have got up there and said, look, guys, I think maybe Judas may not be saved. There's something a little fishy about him. Man, I would tell you one of them disciples would have called you aside and said, let me tell you something. Don't you be talking about the man of God like that. This man Judas has stood with us a whole three and a half years we've been with Jesus. This man Judas, he knows his stuff. He's a born-again believer. He loves God with all of his heart. He's also a gospel preacher. He's one of them hellfire, leather lung Baptist preachers. Some of y'all think I am. We're going to bring some in. I'll show you what they really are. I'm, I'm just a little bitty, <laughs> little bitty field mice, all right? We're going to bring in some, well, anyway, we're going to bring in some good ones, and you'll see what a real leather lung, hellfire, brimstone preacher is. Mark chapter 3, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Jesus said in Luke 4, he's quoting from Isaiah when he said, the scroll of the prophet was given to him, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus turns around and gives that same blessing to each one of those disciples. Judas was a great gospel preacher. Timothy 2 Timothy 4.2, I charge you to preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. If you'd have gone to hear him preach, if you'd have sat in his Sunday school class, if you'd have listened to him witness down on the corner at the street, you'd have said, man, that guy knows his stuff. That guy's a solid preacher. Boy, I wish we had him in our church. I know he goes to somewhere else, but boy, he's solid. If you'd have asked him about that, he'd have said, I'm a sinner in the sight of a holy God. The only way you could ever be saved is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your only hope is through him. Judas was that kind of person. He sounded saved. He was a gospel preacher. He looked saved. He had great power and authority. He talked saved. He had a good profession. Let me tell you, too, he also had godly peers. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus was running around with the heathens and the reprobates. You know who his friends were? Andrew, Thomas, Peter, Mark, Matthew, John. He had godly peers. He's running around with the right people. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Even though you're saved in this place today, you listen to me. Some of you will never be what God wants you to be. You know why? Because you're running around with the wrong crowd. Oh, you're saved. You love Jesus. 
But you run around with the wrong crowd and they're drawing you down rather than lifting you up. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. You show me your friends and I'll tell you what, I'll show you your future. Right crowd, right message, perform the signs and wonders. He gave verbal witness. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, he said, on that day many are going to say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Didn't, didn't we teach? Didn't we preach? Didn't we do all this in your name? Now listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. If you don't hear anything else, you better hear this. Jesus did not say, when they came and said, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we teach in your name? Jesus did not say, no, you didn't teach in my name. No, you didn't prophesy in my name. No, you didn't cast out spirits in my name. You know what he said? You've done all that, but I never knew you. You preach all you want to. You cast out all the devils you want to. You talk in tongues all you want to. You do whatever just spiritually floats your boat. But if you don't know Jesus, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. It's what Jesus says. I never knew you. It won't matter. It won't matter what you've done for God if you lost. Good grief. I, I better get off there. I'm going to get in trouble. Let me, let me get the second thing out here. Judas made a conscious decision to betray. I wish I didn't have to preach this this morning. I, I know I'm, I'm just an old ignorant country preacher. I don't know what I'm talking about this morning. I don't know. I think maybe in Mark 14, Jesus has put Judas in his place with the lady who poured the alabaster out. And he said, Judas, she's anointed me for my funeral. And we looked at that last Sunday. It was inevitable. David, in Psalm 49 uh, Psalm 41, penned this psalm, said, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That's a reference to, uh, to, to Judas betraying the Lord right there in Psalm. He lifted his heel against me. Now, here's the part I don't, I'll just be honest with you. You say, preacher, are you trying to tell me it's inevitable that God ordained Judas to betray Jesus? That's what I'm telling you. Before the foundation of the world, you say, well, then let me ask you. I, you may not have thought about this. I've thought about it. How can God hold a man accountable for whom God set up to do it? I'm going to give you a great theological answer. I don't know. I don't know. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God can do whatever. Now, let me tell you, don't, don't start writing me letters and say, oh, this, 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 this. I've read all that junk. I've read all that. I'm just telling you straight out, nobody knows. I believe in the sovereignty of God. God can do what he wants to do. Don't you put God in a box. He'll do what he wants to do. But I also believe in the human responsibility of man. And they go off on a road, and I say, here's the sovereignty of God, and here's the response of man, and there comes a time when I have to let him go, and I say, I just accept it by faith. His ways are not my ways. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't think God made him do it. I think God left him alone. Do <laughs> you know that's probably the worst thing God could do to you today is just leave you alone? You just go on your merry way and God just leave you alone. The greatest thing most of us got going for us is God never leaves us alone. He's always there to say, hey, get back over here. People are always saying, do you think God's going to bring judgment on America? <laughs> I was going to say, but... I guess God said that for me. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. God don't have to bring judgment on anybody. All God's got to do is take his hand of protection off of us, and the judgment will fall immediately. We'll judge ourselves. It was inevitable, but it was intentional. Now, there's a theory that Judas really loved Jesus. And that he wanted Jesus to reveal himself to everyone. And that's why Judas wanted to put him on the spot so he could reveal himself to everyone. The only problem is in John 18, 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, the Bible says, was standing with them. When they're in the garden, they're saying, who are you looking for, Jesus said. And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I'm him. Here I am. And Judas is standing with them. Now, that shows you two things. It shows you, first of all, physically, that Judas is standing with the enemy. Okay? But it also shows you spiritually that Judas is standing with the enemy. It's intentional. It's also irreversible. It's not, not grief, not sorrow, not repentance. This is a picture of what happens when a person rejects Christ. When he got caught, he repented. Matthew 27, Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? Now you say, well, now wait a minute. You just read where Judas repented. And that's, you have to do a little word study there. That's in the King Jim Version. And you have to do a little word study there. It's a little bit clearer if you're in the ESV or one of those. But the, the word for repent is metanoia. Say it with me. Metanoia. Meta means to change. Noia means it represents the mind. So metanoia is a change of the mind, but it's not something you do. It's something that's brought on by the Holy Spirit of God. That's metanoia. That's not the word that's used in the Greek for repent here. The word that's used here is metamalahi. Aren't you glad I didn't ask you to say that? Yeah. That appears five times in the New Testament, and it always describes an emotional condition. In other words, he's a regretful. He's regretful. I'm sorry I got caught. A man who's lost his uh, uh, family in adultery. He, I can't believe I've done such a dumb thing. I, I'm sorry I've lost my wife. I've lost my family. He regrets it. A man who drinks his way to jail, loses his family, his car. He's sorry. He regrets it. But he doesn't repent of it. Doesn't change his lifestyle. On one verse, using the words for repent, 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter. I said 2 Corinthians. It may be 1 Corinthians. It's in the Corinthians, all right? First or second one. Paul wrote a scathing letter to the Corinthian church, and it upset the whole bunch. I mean, they were ticked. They were hacked. And so Paul writes another letter back, and he said, I repent. I'm sorry I made you upset. But I do not repent from what I said. I repent that I made you upset, but I don't repent from what I said. Because what I said was the truth. And that's what he's saying here. There are a lot of church members, folks, who've walked this aisle because they wanted to turn over a new leaf or they wanted to start a new start and they wanted to have a new day. So they said, hey, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to fill out a card and I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I don't want to run around no more. I don't want to get drunk no more. But it's emotional sorrow on the heart. One is generated by the flesh that repent is generated by the flesh. The other repent is generated by the spirit. One is emotional. One is spiritual. One is counterfeit. One is the real thing. One will take you to straight to hell. One will carry you to heaven. Let me give you the last thing I'm through. Judas is destroyed. He's got body, soul, and spirit just like every one of us. Bible says in Luke 22, 3, that entered, Satan then entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being the number of the twelve. So he's emotionally distressed. He threw the silver on the floor. And that's exactly what happens to folks who seek something in place of Christ. When God really deals with them, they're suddenly ready to throw that away. Someone who seeks money instead of Christ, when it comes down to the time where they've lost their soul, they'll give all the money in the world away just to be saved, but it's too late. Somebody that seeks relationships instead of Christ, when it comes down to where they have to be saved, they'll give away every relationship there is just to be saved, but it's too late. It's too late. Remember the farmer? They said, what are you going to do with all that? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. God said, you fool. Your soul is going to be required of you tonight. Then who's going to get all these barns? Then who's going to get all this stuff? He's emotionally, he's also physically dead. Matthew 27, 5 says, throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, went out, and hanged himself. Hmm. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Acts 125 says to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You say, well, Judas went to his own place. Maybe he was going to heaven. Maybe he's going to a place like that. Listen to what John 17, 12 says. Jesus is speaking. He said, while I was with him, he's talking to the Father. He said, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Now, we usually stop right there. We say, Lord, he's kept everyone. Nobody's ever gotten away from Jesus. No one's ever lost. That's what we believe, eternal salvation. No one's ever lost. He said, I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You're not going to see Judas in heaven. He's going to be in hell. 
In fact, Jesus said here in verse 21, it would have been better if he'd have never been born. If, if, if just one act, just one act. If you looked at Judas, you think, well, he's a fine Christian man. He's a wonderful man. Jesus said it better he'd never been born. If, if I could just share three lessons with you, and I'm through. I got time. And you can tar and feather me and send me emails after this. Lesson number one. You can never know for a fact that anyone else is saved. You can't know it for a fact. I, I know what we mean when we say that. I say, oh boy, oh brother so-and-so, such a great child of God. Man, if anybody's in heaven, he's in heaven. <laughs> they just said the same thing about Judas. They just said the same thing. You cannot know for sure if anyone else is saved. Don't, don't. Please don't take this wrong. I want to try to educate you. Don't, don't say, mm, how am I going to say this and be nice? Don't say, well, one thing I know for sure, my children have been saved. I was there in their bedroom 40 years ago when they prayed. And they've lived like hell and lived for the devil all their life. You don't know that. You say, well, what am I supposed to say? I'll tell you what I say. I pray to God they were saved. They made a decision. They may have been running from God. There are some folk in this room this morning. You're miserable. You're scared somebody come up, tap you on the shoulder. You'll wet your britches. You know why? Because you're running from God, and the Holy Ghost of God has been on you and convicting you and trying to bring you back, and you're scared of your own shadow. Thank God for that. But I'm just telling you in the strictest sense, you cannot know for sure, for a fact, that anybody's saved. Now let me give you the second lesson. You never know for a fact that a professing believer is lost. There are a lot of folk professing Jesus today. You don't know for a fact. See, we're terrible judges. We're terrible judges. I know churches that won't baptize people unless they've watched them for three months or six months. Well, they'd have baptized old Judas because he was good for three and a half years. Lost. Now, I'm not knocking anybody. They do whatever they want to do. That's fine. I have a hard problem on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 got saved, and according to the Word of God, they baptized all 3,000 of them. If you want to come and be saved today, we're not going to put you on hold. You can be saved right now. You say, well, I want to be a member of the church. We're crazy enough to accept you at your word. Now, if you're lying to us, we'll throw you out. <laughs> but we'll give you that opportunity. That's, I believe that's what the Word of God teaches. We're terrible judges. We, we can't judge. We, it's way above our pay scale. Who are we to see that somebody's saved or somebody's not saved? That's, that's wrong. Let me give you the last thing, last lesson. You'd better know for a fact that you're saved. I mean, I'm not asking about anybody else. Don't about you. Now, see, immediately somebody will say, oh, yeah, the Word of God tells us that there's some test. And if this person don't meet that test, uh, he can't be saved. 
And usually they'll go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And that's so true. But listen to me. Don't listen to me. Don't, don't cop out now. That test is given for personal use, not for me to judge somebody else. These things, he said, I've written unto you that you may, you may know that you have eternal life. This is a personal thing. Now, you, you know me well enough. You know I'm not here to try to confuse people or trying to get people to walk down the aisle. But I tell you, my heart has been burdened. The last thing I want to do is see people go through life who've given money to the Lord and helped build the kingdom of God, who've dedicated money to building for eternity, and then to stand on judgment day and hear God say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. Man, I'm asking you today, do you know yourself for sure? Because I want to tell you, there's nothing more important on this day right now than your salvation and my salvation. When you look at a guy like Judas <laughs> and realize that he fooled everybody in the entire area except Jesus. And there are folk here that have done the same thing. I mean, you've got this preacher fooled. You go home and say, that idiot, he don't know what he's talking about. He has no idea. I got him fooled. You do? <laughs> but I'm not the one on judgment day you've got the answer to. I promise you this. You don't have him fooled. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank you even for this example of Judas. Lord, it's tough to watch this. It's tough to see this. It's tough to examine our own lives in view of someone like Judas that was so good, outstanding, a great preacher, a great testimony, did miracles, did all kinds of wonderful things, yet, Lord, you said he was lost. God, help us today to not worry about anybody else in this auditorium. May we draw a circle around us and say, Lord, I want to know right now, am I saved? Am I washed in the blood of the Lamb? Can I know for sure that I've got eternal life. Lord, you speak to me. You tell me. And I'll deal with me. And I'm not going to worry about anybody else right now. There are others in this place that know they're saved, need a church home. I pray, God, this would be their day to come and be a part of this church. Let your will be done in every life, in every decision. There are others in this place today, God, that they know they're saved, but they've been running from you. and They've tried to duck and hide from you. Lord, they need to come to this altar and just say, Lord, I give it all to you. I give it all to you. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you